So these are crazy days, for sure. And I can tell you that in this first week of the pandemic, I have not been coping as well as I wish. I'm not sick. I'm not lonely. That's definitely not the case with everyone at home. I'm not hungry. I'm not lacking in any needed supply. But I have been angry. I have been livid. If we each had a rage meter in the middle of our foreheads, like an old thermostat temperature gauge on a radiator, the needle on mine, I think, would be redlined. It would be buried in red at the top of the scale. Why? Why have I been so angry? Well, I have so many reasons. From the macro to the micro, from the top to the bottom. I'm angry because the most powerful and wealthiest country in the world hasn't or can't mobilize in a way that will save lives. I'm angry that healthcare providers, people that I know and people that I love, can't get tests to administer to sick people. And if they could, they can't get protective clothing to administer those tests. I'm angry that our beaches stayed filled with tourists most of the previous week. That so many people locally haven't taken these events serious enough. Here in a local community where we only have 28 ICU beds and only 13 ventilators in the entire county. I'm angry at much of the religious response. On the one hand, people in my own family, some who lead churches, have had this attitude where it's just disobedience before God not to assemble together and we're going to prove our faith and prove our trust in God and the Lord will protect us and we're not closing down for anything. And then there are the prophets with their hair shirts and their fire and their brimstone blaming everyone they can, terrifying people further with their predictions, throwing a little racism in while they're at it, all while praising Jesus. I'm angry that people are hoarding toilet paper, honestly. I'm angry that my own father is still going to work. He's 72 years old and not taking care of himself. I'm angry that my 21-year-old son had to get on a commercial airplane this morning to fly to his duty station without the least bit of protection, testing, or guidance. I'm angry that people will die, that fortunes will be lost, that my children and their children will have to live with the long-term results of the world coming unsown. I'm angry that the wealthy or the well-connected get the care that the poor and the unknown cannot. I'm angry with the imbalance, with the arrogance, and with the ignorance. But really, actually, factually, I'm not angry at all. I have no control over anything. That's what I feel. As if I had any control in the first place. I'm anxious, a feeling that I despise, that I'm not comfortable with. And this is hard to say. And I wish I could soften it. But I'm fearful. I could say something like, well, you know, I'm concerned. I'm a little worried. This ordeal bothers me somewhat. But it feels right, like confessing a secret sin just to say, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know how things are going to turn out. I wish I could tell you everything is going to be fine, but I can't. Now, I'm not panicked. I'm, I'm not headed to a bunker somewhere with an AR-15, a roll of toilet paper, and a supply of K rations. But the unknown always creates fear. 
The unknown always makes us uneasy. And you might need to confess, like I have today, that you aren't disturbed, that you aren't irritable, you aren't angry, you're actually afraid. Because I think that's a good place to start. My friends who are professional counselors would say, fear turned inward becomes depression. Not deep, chronic, clinical depression. That's something else altogether. I'm talking about that energy-robbing, mood-busting listlessness. I'm talking about getting the blues. We appear sad, we appear paralyzed, we appear unmotivated, but it's actually fear. And those same friends who are professional counselors would tell me that fear turned outward manifests itself as anger. Fear turned inward becomes depression and sadness. Fear turned outward becomes anger and rage. So I think I've just diagnosed myself in most of our country. We aren't angry. We are anxious. We are afraid. But we prefer the anger over that admission of being afraid. Because anger feels empowering. It makes us feel like we're in command, you know. We have something to do and the energy to do it with. It makes us feel invincible with all of our adrenaline going. But it's a cover-up. We have to face the truth, tell the truth, though it is hard to admit. We are afraid. And getting on with life starts right there. A scripture reading for today. It's Joshua chapter 1. Verses 1 through 9. I'm not sure if you'll have a slide for this in the presentation. If you don't, that's fine. You can take a minute to find it on an app or an actual Bible in your home somewhere. This is from the New Living Translation. Again, this is Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And then he says this. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything in it. This is my commandment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many times did Joshua receive the same command? Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, 
be strong and courageous with an exclamation point. Three times in the last four verses, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Why does He tell Joshua that so many times in so little space? It is because this is exactly what Joshua needed to hear. Joshua was afraid. Joshua was overwhelmed. He was anxious. Now those around him may have thought he was a little depressed or a little irritable or a little angry. Nope, it was fear. And this encouragement was what he needed. Now some, some context. Joshua became the leader of the nation of Israel upon the death of Moses. Moses is one of those sterling figures from the Old Testament. One of the most important figures in the Old Testament. This is Moses who walked into Egypt and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. This is the same Moses who brought down the plagues upon Egypt. This is the Moses that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, parted the waters of the Red Sea, went up on the mountain and communed directly with God and received from God's own hand the written Ten Commandments. This is the same guy that presided over the nation for 40 years. And just when the children of Israel on the brink of going into the promised land that God was giving to, the, giving to them, Moses has to up and die at the most inconvenient time possible. And now Joshua has to take over. So he has to follow that act, the greatest national leader the country had ever seen. And he has to follow that act on a stage that not even Moses had walked across. Any person in his or her right mind would have felt the fear creeping up in their throat. Fear is natural. It fo focuses us and forces us to see what we're up against. Fear is the admission that we are weak and we are vulnerable. We are fragile. We are frail. We don't have all the answers. We are not invincible. And the quicker we admit this, the quicker we can hear these good words of instructions and start working through it. Just imagine if Joshua had said to God, Oh, don't worry about me, God, I'm not afraid, just a little edgy. Don't worry about me, God, I'm, I'm just, you know, a little irritable. I haven't quite been myself since old Mo died. Then he would have never been able to hear the instructions that God gave him. By facing the fear, he could get the antidote for it. Here's a quote from James Hollis. Hollis is a therapist. He's a licensed Jungian analyst and genuinely a spiritual giant. I don't say that flippantly. Hollis has more insight and wisdom in his tiny finger than entire generations have possessed. And this is what Hollis says. Fear is the enemy. Learning that fear governs our lives and the many coping strategies we have evolved to manage it may be an unpleasant discovery, but it is the beginning of liberation. All it takes to recover our journey is to recognize that fear is the enemy, not others, not history, but plain old fear, our fears. Only boldness can deliver us. And if we don't take the risk 
to face this enemy, the meaning of life is violated. That sounds a lot like FDR as the Great Depression began to choke out this country almost a hundred years ago. Do you remember what he said? Well, I just happen to have it right here. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. So let me assert, first of all, my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We have to face it. Admit it. Don't cover it up. You have to feel it. And I had a dear friend named Horace Stewart who helped me through some really hard times. And he would say to me, if you can feel it, you can heal it. But if you don't, you won't. And I think that's good counsel for all of us today. And here are some other practical things that have helped me this week. Uh, And besides, this talk today is primarily for me. I'm selfish because I knew no one else was going to be here. And so I know I'm speaking to myself. Well, half a dozen of us are here. But I think this will help you as well. Some practical steps to manage your fear in these days. Number one, take a walk. You can maintain your social distancing. You can stay safe and stay well. More so if you get outside. Breathe some fresh air. Get your blood moving. It will lighten the blues. It will vent your anger. It will treat the symptoms of your fear. And it's a good place, essentially, and especially if you're walking outside alone, to pray, to meditate, to do what Simon Peter says, cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Two, take a break. And by that I mean take a break from the headlines and the news feed. I know we are all trapped at home. And so we watch this unending, uninterrupted, slow-motion disaster on the screen. And I'll repeat something I said here just a few weeks ago. Our brains function with negative bias. This means that we react far more strongly to bad news than to good news. We dwell on the negative more than the positive. Dr. Rick Hansen says, in effect... The brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and it's like Teflon for positive ones. Seven positive, healthy reinforcements are needed for every single negative reinforcement just to stay on the level. Yes, you have to stay informed, but bathing yourself in this disaster 18 hours a day will do nothing to settle your fears. Number three, Take a nap. And I'm quite serious about that. You're not at work. You have nothing on your social calendar. It's likely no one is going to drop by and catch you with your feet up. And so what if they do? These days are exhausting. Get some rest. Read a book. Watch something funny on Netflix. Take care of yourself. Be kind and loving to others for sure. But you can't love your neighbor as you love yourself if you're not looking out for your own heart, soul, and mind. I actually hope that on the other side of this whole ordeal that the siesta will become a North American priority. Everybody after lunch takes a nap. Yeah, give it up back there. I think there should be a constitutional amendment to that effect. So take a walk. 
take a break, take a nap, and finally, take God at His word. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Ronnie, be strong and courageous. Billy, Tim, Garrett, Bobby, be strong and courageous. And this isn't the only place in the Bible such a command is given. There are 150 different times in the Old and New Testament where the command is explicit. Don't be afraid. It is the most repeated command in the entire Bible. And it's the most repeated commandment in the entire Bible because we need to keep hearing it over and over again because we are all prone to fall back in fear, especially when the news is all seemingly bad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel that fear and that anxiety. It means you care. It means you care about yourself, you care about your loved ones, you care about your family and friends, you care about the world, but you can't let that fear be the controlling emotion, the default power in your life. Not if we're going to get through this. You have to hold to the courage that God offers and take God at His word. That's what I've been telling myself. It's what I've been telling my own children. My Joshua... Joshua Bryce McBrayer got on an airplane this morning, as I said, to fly to the other side of the world. He carried with him these verses that I've shared with you today because I gave him these verses. I gave them to him last year when he was in boot camp. He wrote me a letter and asked for a Bible. Lord have mercy, I couldn't believe it that this kid was asking for a Bible. I knew things were tough. And so I sent him a little Bible. And uh, it had a note in it, and it said this, Bryce, you might find encouragement, the encouragement that you need in Joshua chapter 1. And I'd highlighted the verses I've read to you today. I'd also bookmarked it with a $100 bill, so you'd make sure to go there. (laughs) And I reminded him of those words before he left today. In the days ahead, We're going to need all the courage that we can find. I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not a prophet of gloom. This isn't God's judgment. It's not the end of time. But things are going to be tough for a while. Maybe a long while. I said last week and I say again, the impact will be far-reaching. In a way that exceeds anything anyone on this planet has ever witnessed. And even after the virus wanes, the economic and communal fallout, the recovery will be a marathon. It will not be a sprint. The new normal will not be the normal we knew previously. Everything will change for so many reasons. And everyone listening to this, whether you're 12 or whether you're 80, if there are 12 people listening or 1,200 people listening, every man, woman, and child, hear this. You are going to have to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous.